for First Nation Studies and English at UBC, plus June Scudeller, who is a Métis. She has her PhD. And Elise uh, Chenier, Associate Professor, Director of Archive of Lesbian Oral Testimony. Sounds way up. She booms Ellie and the F word. That's where they should go and record some stuff. And Salash Wesley is also a PhD candidate at SFU. And then on Sunday, there will be storytelling. Spice up your Sunday with an afternoon of sexy storytelling at the gallery. Gallery admission includes program. Plus, uh, on Sunday, November the arts report for wednesday november 20th 2013 today on the show um fumbling towards ecstasy fumbles and we have the amazing ola vola on the show today stay tuned something for you guys um and i think (laughs) that really sums up how uh we feel about sarah mclaughlin in the room today um um, so i just want to set out the angle of the story now um we have we're going to talk later in the hour to the amazing ola who's here uh wave to the camera ola (laughs) verbally (laughs) um but i wanted to start out with uh, a review from arts reporter emma Hello. Now, Emma, you came to me with a proposition. You, <laughs> you had an opportunity to attend Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, the Sarah McLaughlin Ballet, mm-hmm. um, with your with your dad. Yeah. Aw, your daddy. Yeah. He he. Did he like he it? He told me not to yell at the performance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so tell me why you wanted to see this and, and kind of what your set up the expectations well, and 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 mm-hmm. how did how did those expectations. Well, get fulfilled. Well, I saw... Well, thank you for having me. I saw the poster at the bus stop a couple <laughs> times, and I, I thought that the way Sarah McLaughlin was posed, that she was mocking me personally. <laughs> so I decided to take a trip to mock her personally, <laughs> and I was not disappointed. 
So the the image um, is uh, a bunch uh, the very talented dancers of the Alberta Ballet Company, aka the Stephen Harper dancers, <laughs> who um, are showing off their ballet shoes, and she is showing off her uh, combat boots. Kind of, they're con- kind of combat boots. Uh, they're all seeming to have a very good time. No one is allowed to look at the camera except for Sarah McLaughlin. Only Sarah. What is the concept behind behind this piece? Well. I think that, uh, well, what it says online, according to the Globe and Mail, is it's Sarah McLaughlin's lifelong search for love told through lyrical dance. The story we were dying Calvary to have told. Style. The story we all actually, like, kind of really wanted to know, like, consciously and subconsciously, I feel. And uh, I thought it was, it was masturbatory at best. Um, most major, mo- most dance performances now feature heavy audio-visual components. Um, this one had a bunch of... There's a big screen behind the dancers. The uh, the first piece of note was danced to Ben's song. And towards the end of the song, Sarah McLaughlin singing over and over again, I Will Not Fear Love, on top of a guitar riff. And th- the entire song, there's a male ballet dancer touching his chest and nipples on the screen I'm not, I'm not kidding <laughs> oh so so it was a multimedia performance it was a multimedia performance all sarah mclaughlin songs uh now let's just i mean one of the the things that we have to we have to put out there um is that dancers don't usually get to pick what they have to dance oh yeah they're they were terrific the choreography <laughs> not so just we want to just say kudos to the dancers for their amazing dancing because they are uh, artists them they're in their own right but let's so we're, we're mostly talking about the concept and the choreography and the multimedia extravagant nipple extravaganza nipple extravaganza so indeed. what did you so you obviously were going in with the expectation that you weren't really gonna like it um, but I, you wanted to you were like wanted to know I like what it was ballet. all about like, i love dancing so i was like i was thinking like maybe there'd be like some redeemable dancing or choreography and I wasn't like I wasn't bored but um I was there with a purpose and that was to laugh and I just I found like parts like the symbolism in it was just so terribly obvious that I don't think that it there was no transcendence there was nothing beyond Sarah McLaughlin's very very one-dimensional lyric style which is all about love and I mean it's not like they even like chose Sarah McLaughlin's love songs to do a ballet about the love she's had in her life the many the many men um it was like that's all she's about and they they, nothing new was brought to it um pretty calgary style you were you were telling me about some of the the really um memorable parts of parts of the dance so give it give us some some scenes from the ballet well Towards the middle of the ballet, they started playing really psychedelic images, uh, computer-generated, but not fractalized, psychedelic images on the screen, kind of like really stereotypical pictures of hands with vaguely East Indian, like classical East Indian art on them, representing the time in her life where she was into that. Um, <laughs> my favorite part was... We all have it, to we all, we have We've it. all done henna on our hands. We've all like, done, we're so exotic. We've all done henna, man. We've all done henna. The best part was when she... Um, the prima ballerina... The prima ballerina isn't actually the correct term because it there's like the... 
the lead in a particular like for a particular song kind of switched amongst a, bit, a bunch of different dancers. So the prima ballerina for this particular song assumes the lotus position, which for those of you who don't know is sitting sitting cross-legged. And then while she's sitting like that, meditating, she gets lifted above the head of a male dancer while the other dancers gather in a circle around her and spin. This is like, what does this symbolize? Like, like your spiritual awakening with the 40 million records you sold? Like, what is this? They weren't even dancing. They're just standing there spinning with the really, really, really trite images on the screen. And I thought that, I didn't, I was offended. I was offended by that personally. Um, Another part that was really cool was when Sarah, the dancer, representing Sarah, uh, the musician. The musician <laughs> falls onto her back, <clears throat> uh, spread eagle, and then a male dancer jumps on top of her, and then they continue to mime sexual intercourse, and then she falls asleep with her legs still in the air. Uh, at this point, three female dancers have entered the stage wearing black sparkly bras, of course. Yeah. Calgary. Pretty standard. Pretty standard for a ballet. And uh, he mimes sex, sexes all of them. And then the, for the final third woman, she, like, runs and she leaps and she lands on his shoulders with her legs, with her crotch right in his face. And they mime cunnilingus. And meanwhile, Sarah is lying on the side of the stage with her legs spread in the air. And I thought that part was pretty funny. Um, nobody was laughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, it sounds, it sounds, um, I think trite is a, is a good word for it. It sounds very... Um, like the 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 depth of the symbolism is not up there. Nope. There was one uh, the second song of the second act. Um, I think she was trying to break away from the love theme for just a bit and talk about uh, existentialism in Toronto. Okay. But they totally ripped off Center Stage. Oh, the, okay. The movie, the movie with the Mandy Moore song in it. Which, of course, we've all seen. We've three all times. seen three times. That movie's tight. Uh, <laughs> Comparatively, tight. Comparatively to Sarah McLaughlin. So, okay, so we're kind of laughing at Sarah McLachlan. We're, we're, we're laughing at this kind of ham-fisted. It, it really sounds like taking a name like that that's so recognizable and so Googleable. Googleable. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, you know, there's obviously um, an idea to kind of bring attention to the mm-hmm. show. Um, make money. People are going to show up for that. $70 for a really crud ticket. And so, so on a business, in a business kind of way, it kind of makes sense. But what you were telling me a little bit about why, besides the content being ridiculous, um, why, why you felt like the need to come and talk about this? Well, it's, I know so many starving artists and like, I don't necessarily feel that they should be fed by the government. But like, when we think about the arts funding in Canada and how there's seemingly so little of it, especially in British Columbia. And then you find out that after being sponsored, after the ballet, the touring Alberta Ballet Company was sponsored by the Northern Gateway Pipeline, they still got, like, Canadian Council for the Arts funding. And they're still funded by the province of Alberta. And it's like, and like you were saying, this kind of, like, innocuous-style ballet with, like, nothing, nothing interesting to say, except for a millionaire's horrible love life it's like so i know all these people that are making music that push boundaries and like i know on with a thousand dollars they could make an album and like this play this type of performance is getting thousands and thousands of dollars and still charging 70 dollars a ticket so 
Oh, tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Lots of money. I'm, I think the other thing that we were kind of talking about that I thought was interesting was what, you know, these ballet companies are, are well-funded um, comparatively. But, you know, they still struggle and they're still fundraising and they're still, you know, it's it's hard out there for an arts pimp, regardless, <laughs> regardless of what you're doing. For an angel. But um, what, what kind of impression is this making on the world stage when this is kind of one of our... Well, Canada's... Like an international joke, like we're the toque of the world. We don't, I don't like our, if anybody, anybody from Canada wants to be famous, wants to make music, they usually go down and do it in America. And I don't think this is not pushing any boundaries. This isn't new. This doesn't represent anything, anything new or anything regional. Do you guys remember? We're, I'm just going to play a little building a mystery. I used to play Barbies to this album. Now, it's kind of funny because there was a moment, a brief moment, that Sarah McLachlan, I think, everyone had that first album. I would um, like to call it the Alanis Morissette effect. Oh, yeah. Well, she did uh, She did start Lilith Fair, and that was kind of like a, that was kind of a thing. The one, Her album that I had, Sweet Surrender, uh, was contentious, though, because she was sued by some guy for him writing half of it with her. Mm-hmm. And, like... I, her rhythmic relevance to music is very questionable, and mm-hmm. it's like not surprising that like her subsequent work just like was like. It's a very nineteen nineties like Nickelback kind of version, but like for soft rock for the ladies, Lady Nickelback. <laughs> so, um, so you are um, now. I'm just. I'm like. Don't want to put words in your mouth, but you are not encouraging people to see fumbling towards ecstasy. Fumbling towards the exit, more like. <laughs> oh, zinger. <laughs> and actually, like, if she was going to compare it to any drug, it'd be more like a really lame acid trip. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Quote, there's a quote for your um, for your newspapers and your, your posters, uh, Alberta Ballet Company, yeah. fumbling towards. Come back any time. <laughs> really. Um, so let's push it, Canada, a little bit more, huh? Let's, let's, if we're going to do ballets based on musical artists, let's pick some that might, uh, at least provide yeah, some like sort of interest. Nickelback. That actually, you know what? <laughs> if I had to choose. Yeah, I would go to the Nickelback one. I'd go to the Nickelback one because at least then you're like, you have like no idea what that would possibly be like. Uh, I'm happy to say I have no image in my head of that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, thanks for thanks for coming by and, and ranting with us, thanks Emma. For, thanks for letting me rant. <laughs> um, the thing, and I, I also have to highlight, like, I love Vancouver arts, and I love so many things that are going on. And, and here at the arts part, like, we go out, we see things that we, we think, even if we don't think we're going to like them or we don't know if we're going to like them, we're interested in it. We think it deserves a look, at least a look from us. Maybe we'll give it a good review, maybe we don't. I don't usually cover things that don't need coverage, but once in a while, it's kind of good to take a look at like what's actually happening out there, what people are actually seeing in the arts and what they're actually going to. And if you ever get frustrated about why people don't understand the arts and the importance of the arts and don't have an open mind about avant-garde work, it's because this type of work is what a lot of people consider to be their artistic, um, event of the year and as long as that keeps happening with the mainstream population then we're not going to actually get a lot of um open minds towards more progressive work yeah like you could pay like two hundred dollars or a hundred dollars to go see kanye west in like a huge stadium have him not even show up or at best see like a tiny little ant like dance across a light stage or you could spend like 
five or ten bucks and go see a really dope DJ or a band that comes from Vancouver that isn't famous but is relevant to style and actual artistic integrity. Well, speaking of artists who are relevant to Vancouver and artistic integrity and are dope, um, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking with um, a pretty cool chick, Ola Volo. Um, you can check her out at olavola.com. And um, she's everywhere um, that you want to be. Coming up on the Arts Report, CITR 101.9. Stay tuned. Last year, over 650 BC teens aged out of foster care without a permanent family. Adoption is not just for babies. Teens need families too. Only 24 teens in BC were adopted last year. November is Adoption Awareness Month. To find out more about adopting a teen, contact the Adoptive Families Association of BC. Call 1-877-ADOPT-07 or visit us at bcadopt.com. What's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news, as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. Welcome back to the Arts Reports. Um, we're working on getting a little music for you guys here, um, hence the technical difficulties. It's a digital world, and I'm just playing in it. Um, but uh, we don't really we don't really need that much music because we have the the beautiful voice of Miss Olivola. Um, welcome to the Arts Report. Hi, thanks for having me here. Um, so. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I first met you last year um, through a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. And we did a little interview for sadmag.ca. And since then, um, directly because of me, no, just joking. Um, since I've met you, when we, when we first met, you um, were doing some editorial work, some commercial work. But, you know, you still had a day job and you were working out of your apartment. Mm-hmm. And now you're a full-time artist with a studio of her own who is doing a show, solo show, over at Kafka's. On the 28th. On the 28th, Thursday the 28th, um, through January 2nd, I believe. Yes. And so uh, we want to talk a little bit about how this happened for you. Um, and... I would like to kind of start at the basics about you coming to Vancouver and kind of starting to work here. And then we will we will learn a little bit about your journey over the next half hour or so. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, yes, we did meet about a year ago now. 
um, and at that time starting a you know a job, having a full time job, and yet pursuing my art career was the combination that I was rolling with. But I definitely thought that it wasn't really working. You know that all this time was dedicated to a full time job wasn't really helping me get further with my arts. Um, and I think that is very, very common for artists uh, today. Uh, but uh, after that, um, you know, starting to work with editorial, with magazines, and seeing that, you know, maybe just maybe if I quit my full-time job that and put all this time and effort and my dreams into the arts um, and in my creative career, that it'll take off. So I think it was just that bit of risk-taking and having the push of friends to be like, you know what, when else are you, when else are you going to do it, if not now? So give us, um, so if you want a reference for Ola's work, it's pretty easy to find. Um, mm-hmm. For example, I believe it was um, Record Store Day issue of Discorder magazine. You did mm-hmm. the beautiful cover. Um, I've seen you in Sad Magazine, as we know. Um, and tell us a few of the other places that people can find your work around town right now. Sure. Um, I've done work for Hootsuite. I've done a mural for Lululemon recently with a collaboration with the six other artists for, for their big wall. Um, in Bitch Magazine, a Discorder, Computer Arts Magazine, um, Dragon Boat Festival, posters around town you might have seen. Uh, the pink shirt day that's coming up in February, you know, pink shirts all around town. You'll be noticing a lot of uh, a lot of that around town in the next few months. Uh, so definitely a lot of um, a lot of local stuff, but also international things. Like I've worked with, uh, I've been to New York for a while. Worked with New York clients, worked with the European clients. So it's been a roller coaster of a year, that's for sure. Um, but at the same time, I think it's just getting started. So your your process is it's almost a very classic illustrative process mm-hmm. that's very much informed by your background. Can you tell us a little bit about that and like what parts of yourself go into your work? Totally, yeah. Um, well, I was born in Kazakhstan, and so my father is Russian and my mom is Polish. So that mixture of European background and being in Canada and having that Canadian. Uh, you know, being raised in Canada, uh, I think both of those, the combination of the type of patterns I'm exposed to, the type of, you know, looking at all the rugs that used to be at home and they were like saturated with patterns and the teapots with all the, you know, all types of flowers. And I think all of this is reappearing in my work and all the folklore stories I used to, you know, used to read when I was a kid that were either European or stemming from Kazakhstan or Mongolia and I just think all those that combination of influences it has to reappear somewhere in your life whether you write about it whether you illustrate it uh, I just was I guess I'm a terrible writer as I was saying <laughs> earlier I wish I could write but that's not my uh, skill per se but I can draw about it and I think as a way to um, to reflect maybe on your background and your maybe a bit of nostalgia in there as well. Uh, this is kind of a healthy way to go about it, I think. Now, you've been doing a lot of work lately. You've had all these interviews. Um, and one of the things that has really propelled you is doing this kind of collaborative and custom design work for um, editorial and commercial work. Now, I'd like to 
uh, you were telling me a little bit earlier about kind of the difference between how you kind of work for yourself mm-hmm. and how you work for others and about kind of the what you've learned about mm-hmm. that over the past year can you tell us a little bit about what's changed in your process yeah absolutely um so when i began to work with sad mag and starting to do more editorial work it was a lot of listening to other people's stories and understanding how to display and how to be true to your style but also not mask somebody else's story to fit an illustration Um, And that was a process that was comfortable for me because I didn't have to expose too much of a personal story and be able to, um, you know, communicate to a bigger range of people, I think. Um, I think it really works well with commercial work. You know, when I did the Dragon Boat Festival, Mm -hmm. I had a very pretty um, pretty open discussion about, like, that or... The proposal was pretty open, like, well, just make sure it's something to do with Dragon Boat. And <laughs> <laughs> the so weird, so weird. <laughs> and the year 25, they were they're ser- celebrating their 25th anniversary. Uh, but I still, like, I had to be very careful about uh, the kind of images I put into it and make it, you know, appeal to a bigger range of people. But re- so although going through that process and me- being able to filter your work and guide your work to the right viewers. Um, so being in control of your work mm-hmm. and coming back around a year later and thinking, well, what, in the end of the day, like, what do I really want to do with my art? Or why is, why am I, what's the big purpose of doing or getting, gaining skills, getting a style? And uh, it just comes to me that I still have a story to tell of my own and I dedicated the past half a year just to develop, you know, to developing personal work and personal stories are out there and kind of having like a visual diary. It sounds a little cheesy, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, it does, but um, that's okay. I'll allow it. Um, Well, okay, so... Tell us a, a, about a few of the projects that you've been... You tell us a little bit about Dragon Boat. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that you're particularly proud of is working with Pink Shirt Day. Mm-hmm. And um, that anti-bullying message. Can you tell us a little bit about what that process was like? Bringing that kind of message to life? Yeah. Um, I was working with Pink Shirt Day organization. And it's an anti-bullying organization that, and to bring more awareness. Um, and I got a chance to work with Taxi Advertising. Um, they're a really great marketing agency, and they do a lot of the design, and they they're they're amazing. But what I actually also got to to work with when I was working with them, I got to peek into their process of how they, you know, how they talk to their clients and how they sell the the work that I create to their clients, and being kind of on the bottom of that sort of pyramid (laughs) being the artist I guess but um, peeking into the big process was like a bit of an eye-opener to see whether I want to you know be in advertising or not and I actually I found it really exciting to be able to take critique uh, and not take it too close to heart probably would have taken a little closer to heart a few years back but uh, it was it was a learning process and like it's it's a challenge because you just all of a sudden always simplifying, filtering, making sure that your symbolism is not 
you know, striking anybody in a wrong way. And all my work is all to do with patterning symbolism. And um, I, it's, it's sort of a fine line you have to play with keeping it personal and yet completely impersonal as well. <laughs> Well, how, what kind of, how does that relate back to your work then? Like, how did, how has that influenced how your process in terms of how you present your personal work? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think there's a bit of, it's easier to, to hide behind patterns mm-hmm. and pretty, you know, compositions and compositions that just work. But when you start to talk about relationships and the types of connections people have with each other, complications, egos, um, things, attention. I thought relationships were re- was a really interesting subject for me to look back to on what I've experienced. And dedicating, you know, 15 pieces, maybe more actually, uh, to just to explore exactly what I've been through and you know, being kind of transparent about it and having all that decorative stuff to emphasize the message. I think it's it was a pretty, like a big step for myself as an artist to take, to commit to that and say, well, you'll come to the show, check it out. But this is pretty personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the the like just like stepping back a little bit from all these kind of little pieces that you've done and mm-hmm. and the the kind of individual goals and what's what's changed for you as a person because taking that leap and, and I mean maybe you can speak a little deeper to this and but taking that leap um to full-time artist is I think something probably a lot of listeners and a lot of people in Vancouver and the artist community um either haven't yet had the opportunity to do or maybe are considering right now and it's it's a really scary proposition Mm -hmm. and you were telling me that it wasn't just about having confidence in your work as much as having confidence in yourself Mm -hmm. um and that you know letting the work have an opportunity to shine can you can you give us a little like insight into ola over the past year (laughs) (laughs) oh totally uh, yeah, I think it's, the process has been very different for me. My perception has changed on the art world. You know, living in New York over the past five months there, it was, you know, finding myself again. It was kind of like from scratch and starting from scratch. But sort of building on what you've already known and Starting from, I, I feel like I started from scratch when I stopped my full-time job, said, no, this is, I'm going to do art, and I'm going to do it full-time. And that was the, one of the biggest steps I've taken, I think, in my life. I was just like, you know what, there's no, um, n- there's no guarantee this is going to work out. And it might not work out, <laughs> you never know. But so far it's been amazing. But I really think it's a, it's, it's, viewing yourself differently um, being okay with discomfort things that are not predictable and and um, finding that there is space in Vancouver for your work and searching for that space whether it's on walls whether it's in magazines whether it's in a gallery whether you know 
sort of demanding for that space and not taking no for an answer, I guess. You know, some things I do I don't get paid for, some things I do I do I get paid for. And it wasn't about sort of fulfilling that paycheck. Of course, I have rent to pay and my girls got to eat. But <laughs> <laughs> aside from that, it was sort of this journey of, oh God, again, sounding so cheesy, but journey into finding that claiming space for your art. And you're the only driver sort of for your own work. Uh, but in the end of the day, it's all back to you and that putting in the hours and putting in a lot of time into finding exactly where you want to be, maybe meeting some nice people along the way who help you, you know, guide you through it. But a lot of it's just hustling. Yeah. <laughs> do you think it's harder to do it as a as a as a as a self identified lady human? Um do you, like as a lady human, um, do you find that, that that moving through the art world, um it may not necessarily be more difficult, but do you have any reflections on that? We were talking a little bit about you know, showing up at a studio and it being seven guys and the, and, and they seem so comfortable with each other and with mm-hmm. where they were. Um, I think it's different. I w- I'm not, I'm just kind of in the beginning stages to see what my perception is. Maybe it's going to change in the next few years, but I definitely feel like a bit, it's a, a bit of a solo journey and it has been, and I think for a lot of artists it is, but I admire seeing a lot of uh, studios collaborate and help each other out, but it is pretty male-oriented, which I don't mind. I think it's, uh, I think I keep hearing that it's common, mm-hmm. and um, we talked about the fact that this is in many industries, not just the arts. And I hope that within time I can sort of build a community of my own and sort of you know, reach out to cool chick artists and we can all collaborate together and have a sisterhood down. <laughs> well, you recent so you recently, for example, like were working with these graf- graffiti artists mm-hmm. on this, on the um, controversial Con- front page mural. <laughs> it sounds like you, you know, in a way like this um, non, non kind of street art style mm-hmm. by this kind of, you know, this, this woman who, uh, showed up, uh, may have actually been a focal point of saving it and not getting it painted over. But tell us what that experience was like. Cause you, uh, you showed up with some unconventional graffiti <laughs> materials, didn't you? Yeah. I was just telling you, yeah. I showed up to the wall and I do, I paint the murals. I was painting at that time. I was painting a lot and, I painted the whole mural by with paint instead of spray paint. And I think it, was, it wasn't exactly, you know, it, I think it maybe a little bit clashed with the other work, but <laughs> at the same time, you know, just trying things out. And well, you showed up like you have all these, you know, kind of what you might picture graffiti artists with who are using these cans and it's mm-hmm. so amazing. And you show up with a, your bucket. <laughs> How bucket did they react thing? to that? Uh, They're still digging it. I mean, I think it's definitely a different technique and what I definitely learned from them is like, hey, listen, take the spray cans and start practicing because in the end of the day, how you get the work out in the streets is by spray painting. And my, the mural I completed right after that was 
mostly spray paint with some acrylic. Mm-hmm. And that that wouldn't have happened if I didn't have that experience watching the graffiti guys, talking to them about different spray cans, different pressures and different colors, cutting in, cutting out and all those techniques. So I do really admire sort of collaborating and working with different artists because that will always push you to do better work. Like, Why don't we listen to... Um some of the the because you requested some Zola, so we've been totally listening. Mm-hmm. We've been listening to the Zola's um, <laughs> most recent album, uh, and uh, we're gonna listen a little bit of that. We're gonna take a little break, um, let you know about some stuff that's happening around town, and we will be back with more Ola after this. This is the Zola's in heaven.
Need help keeping your skin healthy? Let Dermabrite Clinic bring out your best and brightest skin. Dermabrite Clinic offers a holistic approach using aesthetic services, blue LED light, a proper home kit, systemic analysis, and a complimentary holistic physician consultation. Plus, we offer a money-back guarantee and payment plan options. Dermabrite Clinic is also proud to sponsor several local charities and emphasizes sustainability and chemical-free practices. For more information, check out Dermabrite Clinic on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Pinterest, and more. Or check out our website at dermabriteclinic.com. Yellow Pages is all about being in the know and giving students the best local information so you can explore your neighborhood with ease. Yellow Pages also know that preparation is key, especially when it's a night out with your friends. That's why they have partnered up with CITR to make sure you are always prepared, no matter where your night may lead you. On November 20th, stop by Buchanan between 3 and 8 p.m. or the Pit Pub between 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. and show your Yellow Pages app to get a free survival kit, a package of essentials for your epic night ahead. Don't have the Yellow Pages app? Visit yellowpages.ca to learn how to get it. The Arts Undergraduate Society of UBC Vancouver presents the inaugural AUS Humanities and Social Sciences Conference January 17th and 18th. The conference is an interdisciplinary conference at which undergraduate students from all levels of study and from all schools in BC can present their academic research papers and projects. To participate, submit a presentation proposal by November 22, 2013. For more details, go to aus.arts.ubc.ca slash conference. And we are back on the Arts Report. So those were some especially commercial commercials this week. Um, but uh, we got to get, you know, we're talking about hustling and art. Sometimes you're doing something commercial because it's, it's paying those bills. Um, but sometimes you're lucky enough to get to do both at the same time. And we are talking to one such lady, Ola Vola. Um, online and Ola Vola in real life. And uh, you can check her out at olavola.com. Um, and I, I would te- check out the story on boom.com. That was a really good story. She's also recently in Sad Mag, the fantasy issue, Bitch Magazine. Um, you are working on the Dragon Boat. You did the Dragon Boat Festival and Pink Shirt Day. Um, lots of really cool stuff. Now, um, you have some crazy stuff coming up, and we are going to talk briefly about that at the end of the hour. But one thing that we were, I kind of wanted to touch on was... You, uh, you and you and I met today um, on the way here at the Fall Tattoo Gallery, and you've actually done had some tattoos made, right, of your work, and both of people who just enjoyed your work and um, have commissioned you to do tattoos. What are your feelings on having your work on someone's body as a person who's like you didn't set out to do tattoo work like that that's not your medium Mm -hmm. what does that feel like to have something like that um on someone's body permanently well it's i think it carries a lot of responsibility uh to design something like super rad something that's gonna you know the person's gonna like and when they commission you you kind of like you don't want them just to say, yes, I like it, uh, just because they've already commissioned you. So I think it, there's a bit of hesitations where, 
well, what if what if my pers- my perspective changes on art and what I do now won't represent me in a few years? But at the same time, like I had a bit of hesitations, like whether I should design tattoos or not. People are free to take my art and tattoo them on their body, but you know if they agree to it. But designing is something different. At the same time. There's so much, so many shitty tattoos out there that are <laughs> so common that I've seen a thousand times on a bunch of different people, and I see the same thing over and over again. And as you said, like a lot of masculine tattoos are like skulls and you know uh, our trees and stuff, and not bad. It's just that I think, well, my work is very feminine and floral, and if somebody likes it, I mean, how cool is that? Like having it on somebody's body. Like maybe I'm doing justice to the tattoo industry, <laughs> adding some <laughs> some Ola Volo tattoos. Totally up for that. Um, and I think it's sort of be- sort of what I started thinking about more is what you, you produce or the kind of work that you commit to and say that you what what you make um, should represent you today and will also represent you in years from now so be careful with the kind of things that you put out there mm-hmm. uh, really give it some thought and I the more I kind of the more I thought about it the more it freaked me out like thinking about <laughs> what I put up on a wall today might be might outlive me one day but that's also the beauty of like doing stuff in Vancouver like it's so accessible like it's so small and it's your city so not only like you represent Vancouver but Vancouver also represents you so when you're traveling and people are like oh where are you from like Vancouver and then you can kind of feel like that's sort of your city that you want to contribute art to so whether it's on walls or in tattoos or advertising like be mindful of what you produce but also like make good shit (laughs) (laughs) it's okay um I think that that kind of philosophy is is showing up. So um, at Kafka's Coffee, mm-hmm. Main and Broadway ish, um, your your show starts next Thursday as the opening, and it mm-hmm. runs through December into January. Um, and this is you going back kind of to ultra personal work, even more so than when I met you, because mm-hmm. at that time you were kind of focusing on you had some. Um, stories from your background from your cultural background and mm-hmm. um you were really playing with um you were really into animals remember mm-hmm. that and and that's still like that organic is still a very much a big part the natural landscape and the urban landscape those are things that you Absolutely. were really playing with is that is that still something that's showing up in this work what part of that you know from a year ago mm-hmm. is still showing 